0: coming at you from the EBITDA Growth System Studios, looking out at the beautiful Rocky Mountains. My name's Dave Gapkovitz, and I'm with Mike Watkins, and we want to welcome you to the Making Business Profitable podcast. Good day, Dave. Good day, Michael,
1: how you doing? I'm uh, trying to stay warm, man. We uh, had a drop in temperature here.
0: We did. We did uh, let everybody know we do have a special guest. Uh, my dog is here again. So if you hear this crazy breathing in the background, it's not me. I'm not doing a podcast on a treadmill, and Mike is not doing jumping jacks. It's just I have a Bernese Mountain Dog, and I often call him a breathing mountain dog because he breathes very, very loud. So, yeah. Uh, See what I mean? <laughs> anyway, this is Jax. Jax is here with us today. He has a lot to say. So what's going on in your life, dear Dave? I'll tell you what, we just finished up Christmas and how great it was. Um, as a parent with children in their 20s, uh, all my children are in their 20s now, all of them are legal to have a, uh, a drink. So this year my son-in-law bought some Guinness beer and a bottle of Baileys. Um, You know what you do with that, right? I don't. It's a drink called an Irish Car Bomb. Um, So you pour a a beer glass uh, full of Guinness beer and leave about an inch on the top. And then you fill a shot glass full of Baileys and you drop the shot glass in the beer. And then you have to chug it because it coagulates. (laughs) So So you have to chug it. And it tastes like chocolate beer milk. So, yeah, it's actually quite good, but the problem is is uh, he bought a 12-pack of Guinness at a bottle of Bailey's, and 15 minutes later, it was all gone.
1: Because it's so delicious, or because you guys were...
0: Well, I, it wasn't just me and my son-in-law. I don't want to sound like I just drank a whole case of beer, but we, we all did, too. You know, there were six of us, and it was... Uh, <laughs> It was, a lot. it was a lot of fun, but if you want to peek at the Kapkiewicz Christmas, that's uh, that's kind of what you get. <laughs> that's about all. We didn't do that much drinking and all, but uh, we usually have a little bit of fun one night, uh, nothing irresponsible, but as soon as someone gets even a little tipsy, we kind of back off. We don't like any, we don't like too much Christmas fun, you know what I mean? Yeah, well
1: that sounds like fun, though. Not a good deal. Well, what are we going to talk about today? You know...
0: I, I think we need to talk about the transition between an employee, just a, a new individual contributor, and a manager. Making so, the
1: transition from one to the other?
0: Yeah, yeah, making the transition between an employee or an employee and an individual contributor, same thing, to a manager. Yeah. What do you think, Jackson? Okay.
1: Yeah, so, you know, that's an interesting topic because I think the first thing you have to do is realize that there is a transition. I mean, I think. Some people don't recognize the fact that uh, you know, when they get that new job as a frontline manager that they need to make a transition from uh, being an individual contributor to being a manager.
0: Yeah, we see a lot of times uh, people that get promoted to managers just because they're a great employee and because they're a great employee they just uh, they wind up in that position and they don't know how to act. Um, they don't know what their place is all of a sudden. They're like, am I still one of the guys? How am I, bo- I going to be a boss of a friend? And all these things go around. You know, how how do I react? What kind of power do I have? Uh, do I have power? Um, is it us versus them still? What side of the fence am I on? There's so many questions they ask, right? So it's really good that we go through this. Yeah, because,
1: uh, you know, if you're a business owner and you're hearing this, um, it's it's... It's not fair for you to uh, take an individual who was uh, yesterday, you know, just an individual contributor. And today, you're going to make him manage a team, particularly if he's managing people that he was a coworker with right. yesterday. It's not fair to not arm him with some skills, right?
0: That's right. You have to. Uh, you really have to usher that in. You have to be a part of it. So. Um, as an owner, you have to set some boundaries. And we'll go through and talk about this. But as an owner, if you're going to take somebody, announcements, clear guidelines, what that job description entails, what that person's going to be in charge of, who's going to answer to them, and, and where his, his or her role plays between you and the employees and, and what you're going to let them do. And, and you let, that, let everybody know that up front to where there's not a whole bunch of uh, cloudy water, you know what I'm saying? Absolutely.
1: And then once you establish that, then you hold true to that. Because that's right. If you, uh, if you announce one thing but then in practice do another, that's problematic as well.
0: Yeah, I've seen owners do this and then circumvent the new manager they put in Absolutely. all the time and then what that winds up doing is you take a good employee and you ask him to leave. That's asking that employee just to give up because why, why would you take all the responsibility with none of the power.
1: Sure, sure, sure. So when we talk about transition, Dave, I mean, there are two or three things that uh, would kind of define what a transition is, Mm -hmm. right? Yep. Uh, I I think the first one is when you transition from being an individual contributor or an employee to a a manager, um, you have to have a behavioral change. Absolutely. And uh, that means that uh, you know, things that you did yesterday, you don't do today. Uh, You know, you are leading or managing these people, so you can't badmouth the management or badmouth decisions because all of a sudden you are management now, right? That's right. And so you have to seek to understand, and then you want to pass that understanding on to the people who report to you, but you you can't badmouth, you know, decisions.
0: Yeah, that manager has to realize that they are in their roles and responsibilities they are the bridge. You have ownership, leadership, and then you have the, the employee base and you're a bridge. You're a link in the chain that connects those two. So you can voice opinions upstream and say, hey, this is what's going on. This is how we feel. Can we do something about this? And then downstream, if there's a whole bunch of complaining and grumbling, say, hey, we're working on that. This is what we're doing about it. We care about you. We're doing something. Hey, I know for a while I was with you. I understood. And I understand how you feel. But now that I'm here, I'm kind of seeing that they really are doing something. So you go up and down the chain all the time to make sure you keep those two things together as one team, right?
1: I, in fact, I would say that if you're curious as to whether you're doing this transition right, what you just described is 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 a really good description of doing it right, I mean, right. being that bridge.
0: But that, but the role and responsibility change is going to be something that needs to be clear and unambiguous. So if you've been promoted to a new position and you're trying to figure out what this is and what am I, okay, I'm in this, now what do I do? You should ask for clear, unambiguous expectations. If you don't have a job description, at least understand what are my expectations this week, this month, this quarter, this year? What do you want from me? What do you want out of this position? What is the, what What would you call it good? What, if you if I were to accomplish three things or would, that you would call good, and if there are three things that you would say are bad that I need to stay away from, give me some guardrails.
1: Yes, because probably you're going to be asked to still produce. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's rare that you get to move to a 100% overhead role. Right. So you might have a a 60-40, 70-30, I don't know what the split will be, but you will be asked to continue to produce, and then um, on top of that, you know, you'll be asked to, to manage your, your individual contributors and your direct reports. So Absolutely. That's, that's a real skill
0: change. Yeah, it is. It is. It's a total skill change. But you'll notice, Mike and I, when we talk about this, it's a bridge. It is it is a bridge when you when you move into that. And the skill change, uh, the difference is, now you, and we'll get into this more and more, but the difference is now you need to act. You need to, you need to know how to craft an email properly. You need to know how to speak to people. And we'll go into that in depth. You need to know how to be more professional. You might you might slow down the swear word. We're, we talked to a lot of shops, right? You might back off the swear words a little bit. I would say, you know, people that don't ever swear, sometimes people have a hard time trusting those kind of people. So slipping up every once in a while was fair, but it, it but it's one of those things you, you should watch yourself. You should try to act like a leader. Act like somebody those the, that team can look up to, right? And how you conduct yourself. So it's that skill change is more around management essentials and how to act and we'll get into more of that. so so let me ask a question why is it important to do to do it successfully or correctly?
1: Well I think uh, employee retention you know you've heard us talk about that on, on other podcasts. Um, it's impossible to find a good employee. It's easier to find a new customer than it is to find a good employee. so you have to retain your existing workforce. And um, so if you don't transition that frontline manager properly, then they're just going to run your good people away.
0: I'll tell you what, can I, are you okay if I challenge that a little bit? Yeah. yeah. It's very hard to find an employee unless you have the best culture in town. If you have the best culture in town where everybody's, uh, everybody's their brother's keeper, everybody has each other's back. Every, when an employee, when the janitor has a suggestion, the general manager, president, division president wants to listen, he wants to hear you. And people meet each other where they're at and they want to understand problems. And and the employee knows that the bosses care about them. And the bosses knows the employees are pulling the rope for them. And there's a lot of appreciation. And the culture is, we have a customer. We care about our customer because they pay our paycheck and we're gonna do whatever it takes fearlessly to take care of our customer. When you have a culture like that, all of a sudden you're a place that people want to work for.
1: Yes, but the, and I couldn't agree with you more, um, but the manager, this frontline manager, is the keeper of the culture, because when I'm a frontline employee, an individual contributor, um, I only have visibility to my manager. Mm -hmm. I, I probably don't have visibility to the owner or CEO. And so if my manager is uh, advocating a culture of uh, you're your brother's keeper. Um, we do the right thing mm-hmm. for the right reasons. Um, if you have an issue, let's put it out on the table. If you have conflict, let's manage the... Con- I mean, you know, it's the good manager who creates that culture that uh, is so attractive to people who aren't currently in your organization.
0: You couldn't be more right. And and one thing, you got the us versus them, them argument, right? But if... If an owner promotes a manager and then just goes in his vehicle and leaves and he doesn't talk to that manager for six weeks, you know, the owner is failing that manager. You can't, that's how you have an us versus them mentality is when there's so much distance between leadership and the, and the people that are pulling the wagon, right? Sure. So, yeah. Yeah. so, one major thing I want to emphasize here if you're an owner and you put somebody in a manager position, right? you have to engage that manager on a regular basis. You have to coach them, you have to mentor them, put them through training. You have to invest in those people. If you don't, this experiment will fall apart.
1: It does, David. and, and uh, what, what happens is if I'm an individual contributor yesterday and today I'm a frontline manager, if I don't receive the training and the coaching and the support, I just kind of default to my own, um, I don't know, my own devices. And so I'm going to end up at one of two poles. I'm either going to become a laissez-faire manager who just abdicates my entire management role and just... Doesn't do anything. Doesn't do anything.
0: Just sits in the office, hey, I'm a manager now, I don't have to work.
1: Totally, totally. And so uh, let things fall as they may, laissez-faire. You're too easy. You don't. You don't engage in conflict when you need to engage in conflict. You don't correct performance when you need to correct performance. I mean, you just... You pass on all that. You either become that end of the spectrum or you become the other end of the spectrum, which is a micromanager. You become- Oh my. Yeah, you just become a monster. You just stand on top of people because I'm your manager now and I'm gonna make you do this, I'm gonna make you do that. So that's- that's The perfect picture
0: of a micromanager is somebody that calls somebody up and says, I wanna see your emails. I wanna see what you've sent out today. I wanna know exactly what you've done because I don't trust your working. All of a sudden you're telling your employee you don't trust them. You're yes. telling them that they don't know how to do their job. And I mean, what when you're a micromanager at that level, or hey, you want, I want to see the last time you changed this tool. Yeah. I want to see the last thing you did. I, I want to verify. I know you measured all these parts, but now I want to measure them. You know, So when you start doing that, you start running people. You go back to employee retention and culture, because all you're doing is getting rid of people.
1: Absolutely. And so there are times when you need to be laissez-faire, even if that's not your personality. Mm-hmm. And there are times when you need to be a micromanager even if that's not your personality in fact the way it falls out is if you have a really good employee we call them a players you probably just give them the vision and let them go if you have a really bad player we call him a c player then you probably need to micromanage them but you need to you need to know the difference and know when to apply what i'll you tell
0: know? you what there's there's an art to management and it's something that I, I always have to work on right because i'm 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 not necessarily the bull in the china shop but i have i have that that gear and it's a big gear with really? me so yeah, can you believe it <laughs> <laughs> but the one thing as a manager the art of being a manager is letting situations develop before you intervene letting learning happen you encourage learning and and, and oftentimes since we're in that manager position and we know the answer it's easy for us to just say, oh, it's easy, just do that, hit that button, hit that button. Instead of saying, hey, how do you think the best way to do that is? Or really, tell me more, help me understand. Those kind of questions are so powerful, and for any kind of manager, that's the art in management, wouldn't you, wouldn't you say?
1: Yes, because uh, when you allow them to develop like that, you find out, hmm, maybe I wasn't right. right? I mean, you've got smart people, you hired smart people, they're doing great work for you, you move them into a management role, they don't all of a sudden become stupid. I mean, they have ideas, they have vision and uh, if you allow them to share that with you, then you can say, let's incorporate that, that's, that's a winner right there. That's, that's right. That's more than I was thinking.
0: Yeah, and, and then managers have their eyes eyes wide open too, it's situational management too. You have to take a look at your people, who's having a bad day, who's having a good day, who did good yesterday, who did bad yesterday, how can I lift the person up that didn't do well yesterday? How can I, how can I keep the guy up, that that's on cloud nine? How do I keep them doing that? How do I, how do I interact with my team and have those guys understand that I got their back? But at the same time, if there's an issue, I'm going to deal with the issue. So you can't let life pass you by. You, if you have a bad issue, if you, and I'll just say this: if you have an integrity issue going on in your business, deal with it immediately. Absolutely. Don't let it sit overnight. You deal with it right now. You don't let anything big like that bake because it, it never turns out good. And then it's like, oh, I didn't mean that. It's like, hold on a second. Let's talk through this. you got to do that right now. Any manager needs to learn how to do that. So that situational management is super key. But at the same time, you have to realize you don't have to be always right. I mean, managers, you don't have to know everything. You just, know how to, you just need to know how to get that answer, right? Well,
1: you know, yeah, as we wrap this up, Dave, I think the uh – the manager, the definition of a manager, is someone who gets things done through others, right? Mm-hmm. And so when you transition your individual contributor to a frontline manager role, you need to make sure you give them the tools that they need, the basic blocking and tackling skills to be successful, and uh, so they can be comfortable in their skin and they can understand that they don't have to be right. And But you know, uh, I guess the final point I wanna make is, we did a, a podcast around Cost of Goods Sold For many small to medium sized machine shops, labor is about 70% of your cost of goods. Mm -hmm. And so if you want to increase your profitability, then you have to increase the efficiency of your workforce and your frontline managers. That's their role. And if you equip them to to do that, it's a a direct line to increase profitability.
0: Because the more you put in the culture, if you have a good culture, your employees will try. And if you don't put in a culture, your employees will just... Plainly plainly do, they will do, but they'll do it plain. But if you have have somebody on your floor looking for a way to do it better, looking for a way to get a better part out faster and and on time, right? So when you have that kind of stuff and you'll listen to them and you don't have to be right all the time and you support the team, let me tell you, you are on your way from transitioning from an employee to a manager to a top manager because it's super key. And I'll say this one more time. Every manager has to be able to look down the chain and help people, and then look up the chain and help people. And if everybody acts like that, because everybody has somewhere down the chain and everybody has, even the owners have somewhere up the chain, right? Sure, sure. So if everybody acts like that, boy, do businesses grow.
1: Right on there.
0: Right on, Mike. Business Profitable Podcast is brought to you by eSquare Marketing. At ESM, we are your social media management team that puts your mind at ease. Not only can we help with your social media management services, but we can help with your paid advertising, email marketing, website design, video, and even podcast production. Visit us online at eSquareMarketing.com. We at EBITDA Growth Systems do what we do to impact lives through improving business performance. To get access to our content or engage us in any way, you can reach our contact page or any of our information on our website at www.ebitagrowthsystems.com.